and I swear, like the shadow that's by your side. Ooh, I see the questions in your eyes, and I know what's weighing on your mind. You can be sure. Oh, welcome to the social minute. Podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today we'll be covering minute number 39, which goes from 38 to 38.59 on the clock. Uh, we start off with a tiny bit of Mark Zuckerberg from behind, uh, a little bit of bird song on the soundtrack for some reason, I don't know why, and he is, uh, I don't know, praying, I guess. Uh, I think it's described as dovening, I think that's how you say it. Uh, we can get into that once we talk about the minute. Um, and then from there we cut to an a cappella group. Something once again mentioned by Erica in the opening five minutes <laughs> is an a cappella group. And here we get to see one, uh, the Harvard Crocodillos uh, singing <laughs> I Swear. And uh, Divya uh, has some opinions on whether or not they should be doing this song. Um, and then one of his friends uh, kind of talks about, you know, um, how people keep spamming her with this link. Um, and then, you know, obviously... This this leads into um, Divya seeing what's on the laptop and then trying to get away and doing a little bit of physical comedy as he gets a little bit pulled back. But that's where the minute finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we kind of know where he's heading now that he's got this uh, information. Um, and joining me to talk about today is Scott Cavelli. Hello, Scott. Hello. Yeah, so we get the end of the, you know, the kind of the stuff that we've been talking about this week, you know, the end of the coding. Uh, Mark's, I guess, his exhaustion overtakes him. And he is, I don't know, he just kind of bobs his head. Uh, Eduardo keeps saying, Mark, Mark. And then he says, are you praying? Uh, Just before we kind of cut out of there. Um, And I think in the, I think it's the director's commentary where um, David Fincher says that this is uh, what is called dovening, uh, which is like, uh, you know, Jewish praying. Um, although it also just seems like Mark Zuckerberg has fallen asleep and is, <laughs> is kind of just like trying not to hit his computer, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird way to end the scene. And like I said, there's like the, the, the song that's been playing for the kind of last couple of minutes, it finishes with this, with this, the kind of, um, the piano kind of going up and up and kind of just like, you know, fading out a little bit. And then we get this bird song and I'm never quite sure if we're meant to be thinking this is like the birds outside the window of the dorm or what's going on there, but it's just kind of a weird lending to the song. Um, and this scene again, just like finishing with him kind of praying is, I don't know. It, it's kind of a weird touch um, because I, I don't know that anywhere else in this entire film, do we ever have anything even remotely related to religion? Um, is, you know, is so he, it's, it's just, is he praying though? That's the question Eduardo asks. I don't I don't I don't think he is. I think he's micro napping. Uh well, I mean his head goes backwards and forwards. Um and I think on the commentary David Fincher said yes, he is praying. Oh. Uh but I I guess it was just a choice by Jesse Eisenberg to basically look like he has started micro napping. Yeah. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I guess That's what it seems like to me. I don't I don't I I I never I guess I never it never occurred to me that he would be praying. I just I I assumed that it was like the joke was that he was woken up by the guy asking him about relationship statuses. He gets this inspiration, runs all the way home as the relationship status launches the website, sends off the thing and then goes back to his micro nap. Like that's what I thought the joke was. Like I thought it was, it was like a joke about Zuckerberg just being a weirdo. 
Um, I don't know. Yeah, it does. It does seem like a kind of bookend to how he started this this particular scene. Yeah, of being like half asleep and then finishing off half asleep. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I, I, the fact that Eduardo says, "Are you praying?" is you know, it makes it kind of it takes the subtext away and just kind of makes it text. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think David Fincher and I've, on some of the behind the scenes stuff as well, they kind of confirmed that they 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 thought about cutting the scene before you get to that point. So it would just be like, it's live. And he says, you know, let's go out for a drink. And then that would be the end of the scene. Mm. Um, but then they kind of kept these this last kind of like 10 seconds to the scene, which is yeah. always such a weird... I always find it like, as well, it's kind of... I don't know, it is kind of a bit restful because you're like the energy of the previous couple of minutes is like, you know, this is this is what college is about. This is the, you know, the kind of discussion about, you know, the email list. Like there's a lot of kind of energy. And then it does kind of feel like Mark Zuckerberg is kind of like done. Yeah. And it's just like Daniel, Daniel Plainview um, in the bowling alley. And it's just like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) Zuckerbot powering down. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh so i don't know I, I always find it like a really weird way to finish and also like the bird song on the soundtrack always feels really weird to me as well because mm-hmm. i'm like what is what is like you're only there for a couple of seconds before you're like what is going on and it kind of crossfades into um you know the crocodilos singing um i swear like it kind of that kind of comes in just underneath just before they cut um you know and helpfully in the script uh, which, by the way, we're on page 55 and we're only at minute 39. So Aaron Sorkin is way ahead of us on this script. Um, Aaron Sorkin actually gives the direction. The Crocodillos, um, Harvard's oldest male a cappella group, are singing at the front of the hall in their usual uniform of white tie and tails for a packed crowd of students and parents. Um, I don't know that, the, that I would say that this is packed. It feels a bit sparse, actually, in terms of the amount of people that are in there. It feels more realistic as to what I would expect people to be attending like an acapella concert on like a Wednesday afternoon or whenever this is mm-hmm. um, like, this doesn't feel like it's that packed, but I guess, you know, there's some stuff on the script that Aaron Sorkin kind of puts in there. Hopefully I, I sometimes think, um, and obviously he says incongruously, but with surprisingly nice results, which is a wonderful little detail for, you know, the reader, uh, <laughs> the group is covering a song from all for one, I swear. Um, and you know, the, the students are loving it. Um, and I I don't know it's really really weird because then you know then we kind of from that we kind of come back this is where Fincher you know uh, kind of demonstrates how good a director is because obviously you know you don't feel the camera move but you know we kind of come back then to you know we set the scene of here's the acapella group and then here is Divya Um, and I do kind of like as well that you know this friend that is sitting at the table with Divya says uh, you know whatever happened to Cole Porter and Irving Berlin and of course, his friend says it's a Valentine's theme, and I I like the yeah because Cole Porter and Irving Berlin never wrote any love songs, uh, to to which kind of Divya kind of snorts a little bit, um, mm-hmm. because obviously you know that is a wonderful comeback, I, but the, if that that kind of exchange though feels like kind of the most Sorkin-y part of this scene, like you know it feels like Sam Seaborn and Josh Lyman could be arguing over you know why aren't they singing Cole Porter and Irving Berlin? Obviously, there is an episode of. Uh, of the West Wing where they had the Whiff and Poofs uh, rather than uh, the Crocodillos singing a cappella to uh, Donna and CJ. Uh, and this kind of recalls that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is, it's something obviously that Sorkin's already done of having like a cappella groups singing, you know, fairly modern theme songs in that, in that I think they sing the girl, girl from Ipanema. Um, but it's, it's, it's worth noting though, that um, <laughs> the Harvard Crocodillos, uh, do not sing modern songs. Uh, this is not a thing that they do. Uh, 
you know that they have like you know they have appeared uh, or at least you know people pretending to be them have appeared on like tv shows and various other things kind of singing modern songs um and it's it, you know it's been made quite clear by the crocodilers that they do not do that kind of thing you know they they sing you know the great american songbook and that's pretty much it they kind of don't sing anything after like you know 1960 like they they stick to a very specific thing so i think the fact that this is a modern song those are not obviously the real crocodillos mm -hmm. uh, this film had no cooperation from harvard in any way so i don't think that the crocodillos would break from that uh so obviously it's just kind of like an acapella group you know something that of course had been mentioned by erica in the opening five minutes of one of the things that you know mark zuckerberg could try you know row crew or you know get into an acapella group uh, or try to get into a finals club. Of course, in the end, he does none of those things at all. And instead, he invents the Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, but it is worth saying as well that the Crocodilos have a number of, uh, of you know, very illustrious uh, alums, uh, including uh, Paris Barkley, who is a well-known uh, television director. He's won a number of Emmys. Uh, I think most recently he's done work on uh, Walking Dead. But previous to that, he'd done a lot of stuff for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Voyager, uh, various things like that. Uh, also, Fred Gwynn uh, of The Munsters um, mm. uh, was also a crocodilo. Uh, and uh, also uh, Lawrence O'Keefe, uh, who is the composer for Legally Blonde, the musical, and Batboy, the musical. <laughs> uh, of course, he won a Tony a nomination for Legally Blonde. Uh, those are some of the, the people who have previously been crocodillos. Interesting. Um, you know, yeah, I'm a fan of acapella, uh, you know, so I enjoyed this scene, even mm -hmm. if the people in the scene are not enjoying the, the music mm -hmm. uh, because they'd rather hear some Cole Porter or some Irving Berlin. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of the song, I swear, and I think it works nice in a acapella setting. I I love uh, the uh, modern songs done acapella uh, style, especially if they sort of demodernize the song. Um, I think I think it's uh, I, like I'm thinking about um, the the game Bioshock Infinite. Uh, there's this great moment where you're walking around um, the the city. And uh, you hear an acapella group and at first you're just like, it's just like, you know, background, whatever. And then if you actually listen to it, it's like, oh, they're, they're singing like modern songs. This is weird. This game takes place in 1920, <laughs> like 1920. Like this is strange. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's uh, really like cool and, and kind of off-putting. Uh, it's like a good way to like. I don't know. It's like kind of creepy because it's like two things that don't belong with each other, um, you know. And uh, I so I, I really like it when they specifically when they do a modern song, an acapella, but then sort of demodernize it to make it sound more like a song from the 50s. Um, it really uh, it'll throw you off. And it's uh, I, I like that. I like the juxtaposition of that, I think. You know, I like this song anyway. You yeah, know, sure. Uh, I don't. I, I, you know, so I and I think also because, you know, it's part of that kind of, uh, you know, uh, post boys to men uh, kind of singing group type thing that people did in the yeah. kind of, you know, late 90s. So it just works as an acapella thing. Also, it, you know, it does give Aaron Sorkin the opportunity to kind of stick his kind of cranky old man into mm -hmm. a young person <laughs> complaining about yeah. Cole Porter and Irving Berlin. Uh, I, I don't like I don't know that I would have, you know, in kind of 2004, would it have been credible that like a 20 year old would have cared about Cole Porter and Irving Berlin? Like, you know, I don't know that that's a conversation that would have ever took place. Uh, no. But, you know, it's just it's just it's just a nice little kind of counterpoint as if to say Aaron Sorkin is aware that this song 
like is not old mm-hmm. and then kind of just having the having the cat it's one of those things isn't it having the characters kind of point out the flaw yeah of like this is this we shouldn't be listening to this um you know it's just something that kind of aaron sorkin uh does and also we get to meet uh divya's girlfriend mm-hmm. uh, or someone who he just refers to as honey mm-hmm. um <laughs> i mean i don't know which one it is uh which is casey uh you know as in uh the sunshine band um not <laughs> not at the bat um and so you know she is played by shelby young uh who hasn't you know hasn't done like a a huge amount of stuff you know she was kind of in social network and uh you know she was in wild child a couple of years before this with uh emma roberts uh but other than that she hasn't done she's done a lot of tv she's done a lot of like uh, american uh, american horror story um she's done a lot of stuff for disney uh, she, you know, she's had a few guest spots here and there. Most notably, she has been a voiceover artist for a number of Toys R Us adverts. Oh, um, so there you go. And she's also uh, does the voice for Princess. Not anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, she also does the voice for Princess Leia in uh, Star Wars: Force of Destiny. Oh, uh, should you have ever played that game? So, uh, you know, I guess that's something. Uh, but she briefly appears here, um, kind of talking about. Uh, this link that has been spammed to her. Obviously, we've seen in the previous scene the spamming that is about to take place. We've seen that Eduardo is nervous about spamming people, and then we see it described as seven different people have spammed me this link. So <laughs> Eduardo's fears were well-founded. People are, you know, spamming it. Um, and I do, of course, like how uh, in the script it is actually directed as dryly, uh, where Casey says, uh, I don't know, but I'm I'm really hoping it's cats that look like Hitler because I can never get enough of that. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I really like the way Shelby Young kind of delivers those lines. Um, in, in a nice way, you kind of get, a, you know, enough about her character in that kind of little statement to know, you know, like kind of maybe why Divya would kind of go out with her. Like mm-hmm. if they are going out, I don't know. You know, he just calls her honey. I'm not going to read anything too much into that. They might just be very good friends. Um, but I kind of like as well how he's like put away the laptop. Uh, so we can listen to the acapella show. <laughs> but I don't think the laptop's really disturbing anyone. Mm-mm. Like, it's not like she's typing stuff and she's making, like, the keys, like, make noise or anything. Like, it, I don't know. It, it just, I would just be like, Divya, just leave her to, like, look at the internet. Or yeah. <laughs> like, it's not disturbing anyone. But, of course, in the script, this is just to draw attention to the fact that, of course, um, you know, she has been sent the link to the Facebook by a number of people. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting because, of course, you know, in the first meeting between the Winklevoss twins and Mark Zuckerberg, he says, you know, did I insult your girlfriends? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't check. You know, we should we should ask them that. So immediately, you know, they have girlfriends and he does not, uh, obviously, because he split up with Erica. But here we also get that Divya has a girlfriend. At least that's the implication. Like I said, I don't want to read too much into the relationship. Uh, But at least we're getting this idea that it's reached Divya's girlfriend, Mm -hmm. who must be someone who has some level. Like, it's not like he's going to be going out with a nobody. So it's like we know that this has been like the the kind of the, 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 the spamming of this on this this list from the Phoenix has been successful because it's managed to reach Divya and Rendra's girlfriend right. before it's reached Divya and Rendra and the Winklevoss twins, and so it's it's kind of interesting because it almost says like, look, this is this is how quickly it's spread. It's spread to someone who goes out with a person who you know has a certain level of influence at least uh, within the kind of social strata of of Harvard at this particular time, um, and I kind of like as well the little bit of kind of physical comedy where like you know he 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 goes to take the laptop and as he goes like 
you know, it, it kind of pulls him back because it's still plugged in. And then, <laughs> you know, in the next minute, we'll talk a bit more about the kind of like pratfall. Um, but I just like this kind of like his urgency. Uh, it's something that I guess is kind of mirroring, you know, Mark's urgency from earlier this week where he had the idea of the relationship status and, you know, decided to run halfway across campus. And now, of course, Divya has found out about the Facebook and he's kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he could have just called the twins, but, you know, he wants to <laughs> he wants to make a dramatic exit, um, you know, which we'll see in the next minute. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I, I think again, we're kind of we're in a minute that's given us just a little bit of kind of exposition, um, you know, of like the, the the link has been successful. You know, the the list that Mark, you know, kind of manipulated his way into getting has has been successful, and it's finally got to some kind of influential people. Um, and in the next minute, we'll find out how influential it's been. But I like this kind of little setup of like. I particularly like the kind of, you know, cats that look like Hitler because, you know, that is a very kind of like, you know, uh, kind of early 2000s thing. Like, you know, cats that look like Hitler was... I, I remember the memes myself. So uh, it kind of, it really places it. Even in 2010, when I saw this film, I was like, oh yeah, I know what they're talking about. <laughs> like, it was still kind of big enough of a thing. Um, but like I said, I do like Shelby Young's kind of delivery as well. She is very kind of like, you know, kind of like it says in the script dryly she like that line is delivered so kind of like monotone and bored mm-hmm. um you know as if she doesn't really care about this link that everyone keeps spamming her with but you know she'll check it out anyway mm-hmm. and i kind of i kind of like that that's pretty much probably how most people who got started on facebook were like you know here's a link to facebook and people were probably like eh, i don't really want to but you know i'll take a look at it and see what it's all about yeah yeah, I uh, I I like this scene because um, it sort of pinpoints to me why this is the last great thing that uh, Aaron Sorkin has written, and I think it's because he um, he has issues with writing women, uh, and uh, uh, he he like I mean you know the newsroom is like a a big uh, a sticking point uh, for that um, as far as uh, the way he uh, writes uh, the female characters in that show um, and uh, he just sort of has outdated views on like men and women relationships and uh, it's a thing where you know in the 90s it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but everyone has sort of uh, moved on from that uh, way of thinking. And so what he was doing in the 90s isn't good enough now. And he seems to not really understand what's changed, um, which happens a lot. You know, like it, it happened with Joss Whedon as well. Um, it happened with um, Amy Sherman Palladino. You see like a lot of criticism for uh, the way that they they write uh, gender dynamics and things like that into their into their stuff uh, now. And then like luckily, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino of the three, Amy Sherman Palladino was like the only one who's evolved and and changed the way that she uh, has done that. Um, and but then also created a show set in the. 50s and 60s so that she doesn't have to go whole, whole, whole hog on those changes um <clears throat> but but uh, uh but it's you know at the end of the day it's kind of a smart move but when you look at Aaron Sorkin and um the way that he writes those gender dynamics i think the reason that this movie works as well as it does is that those gender dynamics that he that he is uh, known for um are on full display in this movie uh but you don't you just sort of ignore it because you're like, well, I mean, it's Harvard and all these guys are like rich assholes. And uh, uh, yeah, obviously they would treat women that way, 
You know, like they, it, of course they would. Um, and so it never it never feels out of place that that's happening. Um, and luckily, you know, the women are also or not all of the women, but several of the the female characters in this are are being able to like step up and be like you dumb idiot like stop talking to me like that or you know respect me damn it um which is which is you know good enough i guess especially for uh again with the setting of this the time period and setting of this um it really works for that whereas when you get into the newsroom or um anything else that he's done uh it doesn't really work as well um anymore and so i feel like this is the last time that that really worked and i you can sense that he's trying to evolve you know like that's why um i think that he's exclusively writing things with female leads now um you know like he did molly's game and i think he's got the the uh, lucille ball biopic is like the next thing he's doing if i'm not mistaken uh, so I think he's like trying to work on it, but the problem is that like he did Molly's game and like Molly was just a sociopath. So like, uh, you know, he's really comfortable writing sociopaths, so that's fine. Um, and, uh, and I don't know what his take on Lucille Ball is going to be, but I'm nervous because the last time he wrote about comedy, it was Studio 60, a show I like, but a show that is, uh, uh, all of the comedy in it is not good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I'm a little worried about, uh, about his, uh, uh, Lucille Ball biopic, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I think that that's, I think this is sort of like the last time that he was truly great as a writer. Um, because as much as I like the Steve Jobs movie, it definitely has its issues, uh, especially with um, the the dynamics between Steve Jobs and um, uh, uh, Kate Winslet's character. Um, and, uh, and, and also his like ex-wife and stuff like that. So I, 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 I think this is the last time that it's, it's really worked. And I think the reason that it works here is because of the types of characters that he's writing. Um, these stuck up, uh, conservative, rich 20 year olds. Um, and, uh, I think it, I think it really works. Um, it works really well for him. Uh, and it makes these characters all very believable and you hate all of them. They're all miserable, awful people. <laughs> uh, and, but, but it's entertaining to see them uh, constantly uh, scrambling uh, as we, uh, as we see in the scene. I mean, I, I would say I also like Moneyball, which came out like the following year, but I think Steven's alien probably had a bit of a influence on, making that feel a bit more balanced uh, yeah you know, my, my the, problem the relationship with... between um brad pitt and his daughter i can't remember who plays his daughter now uh the actress who plays his daughter i, I don't remember, remember. Uh, but i thought she was pretty good yeah my, uh, my problem if... with moneyball is that i can um it was it, my problem with moneyball it was the director's choice to not make it an aaron sorkin movie and like you can sense while characters are saying dialogue that they should be saying it faster and more intense and they're not. And so it just feels sluggish to me because I'm like, I can hear the Aaron Sorkin script, but it sounds like it's being played in slow motion and I hate it. Um, it drives me crazy uh, that he was not allowing the actors to do the uh, Sorkin pitter patter timing of the dialogue. Um, and it, it, it drives me up a wall. I, so it's very difficult for me to watch that movie as a result. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the actress that played the daughter in Moneyball is uh, Keris Dorsey. 
um, mm. who people may remember from Ray Donovan. She plays the eldest daughter, Bridget, oh. of, uh, of Ray Donovan. Uh, she's really good in that as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I, that's why I, I certainly remember her from. Uh, I haven't caught up on the last couple of seasons of Ray Donovan, though, so things might have gone south very badly, but uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed her on the first couple of seasons, certainly. <laughs> you know, And I think her, her relationship, like you say, it, it, it does, the film does feel a little bit kind of slowed down. Uh, you know, it's telling that we're, you know, uh, 56 pages into this script and, and it's, you know, it's not even 40 minutes right. <laughs> into the film. Right. Um, you know, that's kind of the pace that you expect, uh, you know, an Aaron Sorkin script to go at. Yeah. Uh, whereas Moneyball is 133 minutes and that's that that probably could have been under under two hours uh, if it had gone at a normal kind of Sorkin pace. Right. Um, yeah, because like West Wing, West Wing scripts were like typically like eighty-five to ninety-five pages for like an hour show, um, and yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's the pace I want from an Aaron Sorkin thing. <laughs> you just want people talking quickly, yeah. and moving and moving fast, right? Right. You want uh, that throwback. Right, even... You want that screwball comedy throwback. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been nice if we could have got a crossover between the West Wing and Gilmore Girls, but I fear that the script for that would probably have been like 200 pages. <laughs> and uh, I don't know that the actors would have been able to keep up the pace. Yeah. Um, I, I, would have, I, would have, I would have only wanted Paris Geller to cross over with West Wing. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. And uh, I think she does. There's an episode of the West Wing where she uh, betrays Leo. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well, see, see, there you go. I got my wish. <laughs> she just didn't talk very quickly. Now, if episode, now, if now, was... if only uh, now, if only Lorelai Gilmore could have dated uh, Bradley Whitford, I, everything would have been great. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably been a film in the last few years where that's happened, given their ages, and you know that's what tends to happen with uh, with people of that age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, you know. Aside from cats, you know, cats that look like Hitler uh, and Divya's the start of Divya's pratfall. Uh, again, like this is just giving us the outcome that yeah. You know, the, the spamming was has worked and it's gotten to the right people and the right people are going out with Divya Narendra, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, apologies to KC. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you could do better. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not quite sure what you're seeing in him, but uh, we'll get more into that in the next minute because we, you know, we start to get into the meat of, you know, the eventual. We've already seen the lawsuits going to happen. So it's kind of weird because we've we've kind of already seen the outcome of. But the next scene is really the start of, uh, you know, the twins and Divya kind of, you know, kind of deciding that maybe Mark Zuckerberg hasn't been 100 percent honest with them about uh, everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, so if there's nothing else to cover in this minute, then uh, my question on a Thursday is what is your favorite social network? Now, I mean, this could be any social network. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it could be IM Messenger from back in the day or, you know. Uh, but, you know, in terms of like, you know, obviously you, you, you said you kind of joined Facebook uh, a little bit late, although at this point you've, it's still longer than a lot of people have been on there. Uh, but, you know, were you were you kind of like a ride or die for MySpace, you know, for the longest time? Or did you have a Bebo or, mm. you know, a GeoCities or I, I, I don't know. Like what what has your experience been? I definitely had a GeoCities, probably a couple GeoCities, uh, definitely had a MySpace basically immediately upon it being available. Um, I joined that one pretty early. And the thing with MySpace, you know, that I remember from high school and my early 20s was I was in a lot of bands. And so all of my bands had a MySpace page because you could 
have a player on your MySpace page that would play like songs from your band, you know? Um, and that was like a cool way of like getting fans from like outside of your hometown. Uh, and, uh, so I had, I had, a I had a few MySpace pages, uh, for that. And it's funny, the, the MySpace pages for my band still exist, but MySpace has deleted all the music. So there's like a player with the songs in it, but when you play it, nothing happens because they've deleted the, the, <laughs> the MP3s off their server. Um, but the, the pages still exist. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, so I, I definitely did that. Um, I joined... Twitter, I think, uh, like 2009, 2010, something like that in that range. Um, right after basically the day I got an iPhone was the day I joined Twitter. Um, because Twitter was basically pointless unless you were doing it off of a phone. Uh, and so I, I don't know, like favorite, uh, social media. I mean, can anyone have a favorite social media? I don't know. Um, I, I probably, uh, I probably spend the most time on Twitter, uh, not posting myself, but like reading tweets. Um, that's probably what I, what I spend the most of my time on. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, my favorite social media is LinkedIn. Let's go with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. My my favorite joke is whenever anybody says something and they mention LinkedIn, I just immediately go, ooh, LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, looking at my own Twitter, I see that I joined in uh, March 2009. Yeah. Uh, which is weird because that means, that means I've been on there more than 10 years now. So, <laughs> so yeah, I had my, I had my 10, I actually, I did have my 10 year. Maybe I started earlier than I thought. Let me see here. What do I have? Uh, oh, January 2009. So... Oh, there you go. Beat me by like eight weeks. Yeah. So like six, I, I joined uh, like like six months before or six months after I joined Facebook. So um, <laughs> which we, we looked up in between recordings when I actually joined Facebook and it was uh, it was uh, June of uh, 2008. So uh, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of weird that, you know, people now have been on social networks. I mean, some people have been on social networks long enough that, you know, like the children they had that were in all those many, many pictures that people would put on Facebook kind of in the early days are now teenagers, probably not with their own Facebooks, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, teenagers are all about TikTok and Snapchat and yeah. Musical.ly and Christ knows what else. Yeah. But they're definitely not about Facebook. They like the stuff uh, that del that goes away because they know that eventually <laughs> employers were going to go look at your social media presence. Uh, so, yeah. uh, it would be better to do your naughty things on a, on a social media that, uh, disappears. Yeah. Uh, not have a, not have a memory of, of what happened. Right. right. Uh, interestingly enough, there is a guy who, um, uh, called Noah Kalina who took a picture of himself every day for many, many years. Uh, it became like a meme thing. Uh, he did like a YouTube video where it was just like, glitch. I mean, he kind of has almost the same expression in every single picture. So the only way you can tell what's going on is his hair and his beard. Um, <laughs> And uh, and he actually runs his Twitter in this really weird way where he will tweet and then like a day later, he'll just delete that tweet. And so his Twitter has like n like no tweets. Um, but, you know, if you follow him, you get to s you get to see his tweets, but they're only there like just for a couple of days and then he just deletes them. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess uh, that that would have been the smart way to run anyone's Twitter account, I think, is just to just to give yourself a feature to just delete it all. Yeah, well, there's there's third party apps that do that. You can set them up to, to delete like over a certain period of time. Like I think the max is a year. Like so like anything older yeah. than a year gets deleted. Or the minimum is like 24 hours or 12 hours, I think. Um, 
but the problem is that uh, I've been on, on Twitter for so long that um, I can't do that because it's all <laughs> like the, the stuff that's really old is archived and can't be deleted anymore. Um, yeah. Without just deleting my Twitter altogether. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's unfortunate. I mean, that's always that's always one. That's always one option, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, once you've got a Twitter that is your name, then. You prefer not to lose that to somebody else to start. Right, Twitter. exactly. So you're, like, you're kind of trapped then, aren't you? Uh, so anyway, I feel like we said about as much as we possibly can about this minute. So let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Scott? Uh, yeah. Uh, if you like uh, Doctor Who, check out uh, The Doctor's Companion, my Doctor Who podcast. Um, we're currently on hiatus, but uh, we'll be back uh, very soon uh, this this summer with a, with a new season of the show. Um, and what we do on that show is when new episodes are airing, we're talking about those as they're released. Uh, and then in, during the off season, uh, we do a season of, uh, the show called the long way around where we, uh, talk about every story by every doctor, one doctor at a time. Uh, so, uh, you know, we are currently, I think on like the 10th story by each doctor, so we do the 10th story by the first doctor, the 10th story by, of the second doctor, the 10th of the third, and so on and so forth. And then uh, when we're done with that, then we'll go back to the beginning again and we'll do the 11th story of each doctor and so on and so forth. Um, and so we're about to get started on a new season of that uh, very soon while we wait for the show to come back sometime next year. I think they are talking about a Christmas special. Theoretically. Um, we'll see. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> And you can find us on MySpace at MySpace.com slash The Social Minute, on Twitter at Social underscore Minute, and on Facebook at The Social Minute Podcast. Thanks for both of being my guest here today, Scott. Of course. And I will see you tomorrow. Stars in the sky, I'll be there. And I swear, like the shadow that's by your side, I'll be there for better or worse. Till death do us part, I'll love you with it.